What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What is up, everybody? Double G from the Fight Game Media Network. Merry Christmas Eve. Happy holidays. We have a bonus show that is going up right now which is the WCW 96 podcast that John LaRock and I are doing. This is the Halloween Havoc show with Hogan against Savage. And uh, this is the third to last WCW 96 show in the project before John and I get to Popcorn and Pile Drivers, our pro wrestling movie review show for 2024. For the rest of this uh, upcoming week, we will have a uh, wrap, the, the wrap with Keela and Scott. They're doing a award show, which is already recorded, and we're going to put that up uh, sometime soon. Uh, there's no normal show this week because WWE is not doing uh, actual shows this week. They're doing best of super for, <clears throat> excuse me, for both Raw and SmackDown. But I believe Keela and Scott may do a live show post day one on uh, the first of the new year. Uh, the Boom will have a show this week. At least that is the plan. Uh, but it will be up probably Wednesday morning rather than Tuesday morning. Um, I believe. The Dynamite Show. Gosh, how can I forget the Dynamite Show? They are recording their normal Wednesday show, and that is with the semifinals or the finals of the Blue and Gold League, however you look at it, with the two winners heading into uh, World's End and obviously MJF and Samoa Joe and all those matches on uh, the pay-per-view on Saturday. So actual Saturday pay-per-view. So I don't, I believe, no collision next week for AEW. And then uh, Scott is going to be back in the groove again. We'll probably have a uh, the last bonus show of WCW 96 sometime this week as well, just to fill, uh, fill some spots if need be. So be on the lookout for all of those shows. And then starting January 1st, we're going to be back in the swing of things with our normal Monday through Friday shows. And any bonus shows that we have will be on the weekend. 
Uh, so we put up two bonus shows already. We had the interview that Jeremy Finestone and Stephen Conway did with ELP and Hikaleo. That uh, they they kind of did a run in on speaking of strong style this week. I know it was sort of a last minute kind of deal. Jeremy shooting his shot there, but we did put the full audio interview on this feed uh, yesterday or Friday. We we put it up on Friday. And then we also put my show that I did with uh, my good old buddy Big D from back in the day. If you were a follower of when before Fight Game Media, when we were just Fight Game Blog and we were just kind of doing fun stuff but not super seriously just kind of trying to figure our way d and i used to do a ton of podcasts and so uh he and i broke down the rocky universe movies based on rewatchability which of the movies is the most rewatchable so that's how we kind of broke down our review and, and we hadn't had a chance to talk about creed 3 so it was also a chance to talk about creed 3 as well as the sly stallone uh, documentary that is on Netflix. So, this is WCW 96. This is Halloween Havoc. Soon we will have World War 3, which was the last show that John and I recorded before our last episode in this series, which will be on this feed as a bonus show with uh, Stargate, Hogan, and Piper. But for now, I will leave you. Have a great holiday. Merry Christmas to everybody. Thank you for sticking around with us as We've changed things a bunch of different times. But hey, as I say, everything is an experiment. That's how we look at stuff. So you don't have to do stuff that just doesn't work. Let's keep it moving. Let's figure things out and let's change if we need to change. So appreciate all of you. Here is our WCW 96 show for Halloween Havoc. We are back in 1996. September turns into October, and it is Halloween Havoc, John. One of your one of your favorite times of the year gets its own pay-per-view. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I used to love it because it's around my birthday time, you know, starting in 1989, and it was always on my birthday uh, present list that I would request, though. So. Do you remember the first couple of halloween havoc shows oh yeah oh yeah yeah i i really enjoyed them even 1990 though <laughs> it was <laughs> had some moments but overall i really uh, enjoyed that show but i was really depressed after it was over not because there was a fake sting in this barry windham which was really awkward to look at when they showed the highlight yeah the yeah, replay yeah. Of that but it was the fact that lex luger lost the u.s title to stan hansen really, really upset me that night i thought luger was on his way to WWF, <laughs> for some reason, I was all bummed out. So they, they had to toughen him up. He was tough. He, he tough. He took that Stan Hansen. These that that uh, Halloween Havoc they're talking about. You you know my cousin Bruce, who's been to some of your premiere shows. Mm-hmm. He calls me up, and he's like, "You got to tell me what's going on." Because I didn't watch I didn't watch show live, <laughs> but he was watching show live. He's like, "There was Sting," and then he went to the back. And then he came back out, and then he lost, and then it was a different sting. Like he was like, he, but he was fired up. He was so interested. He was like, "This is crazy." So for a casual fan, it kind of, you know, kind of worked for him. But then when I watched it, and I was like, "Okay, that 
Barry Windham doesn't really look like Sting that much. <laughs> it, it would have been better if, if Sid would have won the belt that night from that, you know? Yeah. They would have pulled some horseman shenanigans and and got that belt. Um, That would have been. But he just ends up winning it, you know, reta- yeah, retaining it. Well, they had to like, pay but- off the Black Scorpion then the next show. <sighs> God. And they should have boarded that, that show, you know? They should have been done with it. Yeah, yeah. All right, so what we're talking about is we are post-war games. Arn Anderson is very upset with Lex Luger for being the person who lost this match, and so <laughs> much so that that is the build to their match here at Halloween Havoc. Again, Arn is not he's not in the main he's not in the main event scene. He is not in these ending segments that that last forever with the NWO, but Show in and show out. This dude's the best promo in the whole company. He's amazing yeah. in this time. Yeah, he's 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 great. I thought you know the match. We'll talk about it at Halloween Havoc, but um, I yeah, he's still great. I mean, he's perfect in his role, right? He's always been the kind of like uh, a side player, you know. But he's when he talks, he's great. It's when he was, he was still able to cut really good promos back then for sure. So. As we are talking about the time frame post uh, War Games through the Halloween Havoc pay-per-view, there's lots of stuff off the air that is happening. Obviously, WCW is still doing really well in the ratings. But Dave is starting to break down some information. And he's starting to, let's just say, a lot of the... The tale of the NWO is that they came in and they just set everything on fire. And what Dave has always said is that they they did keep the they did keep the ratings going, but originally he gave most of the credit to the turnaround in the company, which wasn't necessarily only TV ratings; it was also uh, it was also house shows to the Savage Liz- <clears throat> Elizabeth and Flair feud that had happened right before, right as things were, were starting to come through with the NWO. And he does this comparison of a lot of the major business drivers for WCW. And essentially what he determines is that the NWO does help with the Monday night TV ratings because usually in the summer you'd get a little bit of a drop. So they kind of keep those TV ratings afloat. Uh, but he looks at it and he's like, house shows, not up. Uh, you know, all of the other indicators like pay-per-view, not really up. Like, so the, I feel like the fantasy of the NWO was that they just, everything from the time that they came in went just up and to the right. And that's not actually what happened. No, I think it was a, a little bit of a process, you know, like it gradually built, right? I, I know we're not going to cover 1997, but it'd be interesting to see what the business is, you know, like in 97. I think it would, I think it exploded, right? 97, 98, and then 99s where it really took a, a big dip. Yeah. So what we're watching right now is the NWO, because they won the war games, they got some 
things that they asked for, one of those being the ability to do segments on television, which starts out on WCW Saturday night. I was not watching Saturday night at this point any longer. Mm-hmm. So the, these segments that I sort of watched, rewatch, I was like, wow, I don't even remember this happening. And this, mm-hmm. like, this is like the pandemic uh, wrestling with no fans <laughs> in the building. Nick Patrick's, you know, under a, a mask, a ski mask. I think smoking a cigarette at times, like as he's refereeing and, um, they're just beating up job guys, right? Shivani like, does interview him, and he's like, "That that's you under the mask. He's like, no way. I'm in way better shape than that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was, at this time, still watching uh, WCW Saturday Night, so I remember um, seeing those segments and thinking they were, like, cutting edge and stuff back then. Yeah. I, 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 rewatch, I didn't go back and re- actually rewatch those um, this time around, but... Were they good? Did you like them? Did you, did no, you I, I I only saw what what they showed on on Nitro. I didn't oh, okay. go back and actually watch the show. I would actually wouldn't even know how to find them. I, I guess they would be on YouTube, but uh, there's a lot of stuff on YouTube. I think I think it only lasted four, maybe maybe six weeks, but I think about four weeks. I think it was. So we are building to them doing the NWO version of Nitro, but I don't rem- I don't remember if that happens. By the time by the end of '96, or if that's '97, God, I hope it's in '97 because <laughs> I hated that episode. It's just like they're taking apart the set, and it it goes forever. And and time, I mean, not not for me because I was on the West Coast. I didn't have to. I didn't have to flip over, but I think I probably would have flipped over. If I was on the East Coast, you know, yeah, like yeah. I don't, I don't really care if I'm taking on the WWE sign. I want to see what's going on, like over at WWF land. Monday Night Raw is trying to do some things to close the gap. So they decide to move the sh- their show up one hour, which puts them head-to-head completely with WCW. Because what was happening was that WCW would go uh, an hour earlier, and mm-hmm. then by the time that they were in hour two, WWF was starting, and they would already like be right into their top angle by the time WWF's show starts. So... WWF moves one hour earlier, um, mm-hmm. and 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 they kind of do it without being able to advertise that they're going an <laughs> hour earlier. So uh, I don't think the fans were quite ready for it. Also, and this is interesting, Dave writes, Raw's going to do its key angle live in studio or via satellite each week working the taped matches around the angle as a way for the main thrust of each week's show to not be known in advance. Hmm. I don't remember if that ha- if they, they did that a Pillman? lot. Pillman Austin? Yeah, that that's coming for sure. Yeah, I'm trying to think of anything else. That stuff with uh, Austin in the studio, I think maybe. Something like that, mm-hmm. I guess. I'm trying to remember. Um Sid, this is that time. This is like Sid. Well, not that there yet, but Sean and Sid about ready to break up, right? And then lead to their match at Magic Square Garden for the Survivor Series. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's coming. And Rock, the Rock, Rocky Maivia is about ready to debut as well. Yes, in the uh, Survivor Series match, elimination match. Big signing at the time. I thought. As I thought, Doug Furness and Phil Lafon coming in, mm-hmm. but they ended up <laughs> didn't do well, unfortunately. So he Dave writes about how much uh, Hall and Nash cost to the bottom line. 
And so his research says, and, and I'll quote him here, the fact is when it comes to putting dollars in the company, the arrival of Hall and Nash and the impact of the NWO angle pales in comparison to the original arrival of Hogan in 94, where his house show and buy rate figures were almost night and day different from the priors, and economically his impact on the company financially did pay for his $4 million plus annual salary. If you look at the old figures, or I'm sorry, if you look at the figures and remember that both Hall and Nash's salary adds 120000 per month in salary expenses, uh, it's a lot harder to make the same statement. In fact, if you combine the slight drop in house show per average with the slight increase in buy rate, the figure you wind up with is that since Hall and Nash came, WCW takes in an extra 48800 per month while spending maybe 125 more to get that money. Uh, but, he does say at the end, that figure may be considered a drop in the bucket if the goal is to do a number on WWF every Monday, which is generally what has been happening, uh, and merchandising isn't factored and may slightly close that gap a little more. Those NWO shirts are selling like hotcakes yeah. at this point. Uh, so, the... Monday Night War is kind of still big time in favor of WCW, but Dave also writes that wrestling fans are watching less actual wrestling product than ever because no more syndication. It's mm. only these shows that, you know, for for uh, WWF, they, I think they still have Livewire, they have Raw, I don't remember. Uh, I think Shotgun Saturday Night is is coming. Uh, Superstars for, is gone. Uh, at least from a syndication aspect, it might be gone. I don't know if it actually then went to the USA Network mm-hmm. uh, to, to to for that show an office syndication. But for WCW, it's uh, Saturday Night and Nitro essentially, and then you know some of their weekend shows that they were still doing on uh, TBS. But the localized stuff that you and I would see on Channel Thirty Six KICU. Worldwide, Worldwide, yeah. Worldwide, WCW Pro, Power Hour, uh, main event. It's probably, I think, still around. I mean, that's all TVS. It's all cable. Yeah, it's all cable. And so he broke down the demographic numbers for the television ratings. And in the men to 18 to 34, Nitro was killing. They had 631,000 people watching. Um, And they edged WWE uh, 61% to 39%. In the 35 to 54, again, we're, we're still with men, they are smoking WWE 68% to 32%. And then in the women 18 to 34, they have a slight edge, uh, 54% to 46%. In the women 35 to 54, uh, a, another giant edge for WCW, um, 66% that, to 34%. It's that Jimmy Graffiti, huh? <laughs> Jimmy Graffiti. He's getting those ladies. That was pretty amazing. <laughs> there were some. There were some interesting ones. Who was the cheetah kid? Uh, Prince Ike. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Which I guess got approval, or they may have bought the gimmick from Rocco Rock, who was the cheetah kid on mm-hmm. the on the indie scene. So, yeah, I think he should have stayed cheetah kid instead of Prince Ike. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Now here's where Raw is actually doing better than Nitro. <laughs> this is funny considering where WWE would take the product. 
Children, 2-11. to 11. <laughs> They're going to lose that next year. Raw's winning 52 to 48%, and then in <laughs> teenagers, actually. So you would think, like, NWO is kind of cool, but no, still, you know, you have the heartbreak kid. He's the, the young draw, uh, and Raw was edging Nitro 54% to 46%. So there is a heavy, heavy older audience for Nitro, and that makes sense because they have all the old WWE stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they, they they do have some young stars on there too, but yeah, the WWE, this current superstars, I guess, in wrestling are on all on WWE Nitro at this point. Now, I was kind of wondering when this stuff was going to hit the Observer. Uh, this would have been the either the issue of the Halloween Havoc or the one right before. Dave writes, there's becoming more and more behind-the-scenes heat in the Hall-Nash-Hogan camp, <laughs> not to mention the disenchantment of those not in the camp. Hall and Nash are tired of playing background vocals and mad about the money Hogan is making. <laughs> wow, very interesting. Wow. All right, so who's the who's the big get? Who's the... The next one that Eric Bischoff wants to bring in, that is none other than Bret Hart. Now, this is the time frame in which Bret is either coming back to WWF and wrestling Steve Austin at Survivor Series, which is what actually happens, or he joins WCW to be on the WCW side with... uh, Roddy Piper, who we will talk about at the end here, because we'll we'll talk about that after the actual Halloween Havoc pay-per-view. And he was, uh, Eric Bischoff was hot and heavy for Bret Hart here. Mm -hmm. Now, there there is a discussion, and I've seen Twitter where Eric was like, I never faxed this contract to Bret, and it ended up in a limo, and somehow the limo driver was a subscriber or something and knew that Dave would want it, so he gave it to Dave. Like Dave has this story that he has the fax contract for, for Bret Hart because Bret was in the Bay Area yeah. at the yeah. time. And Bischoff has said, ah, oh, it was a bunch of lying. I would never fax the cut, whatever, blah, 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 blah. It's, a, it's actually in Bret's book. Uh, uh, that that would lead you to believe that that this contract was was in Brett's back pocket when he went to go to to Raw to to figure out if Vince was gonna uh, to s- s- you know stay with his word that he was gonna sign him sign him back. So Eric's offer originally was three year deal for close to nine million, huh. uh, and Vince, when Brett brought this up to Vince, Vince was like, "You know that there's no way I can match that," and Brett was like. Yeah, but what's your best offer is essentially what what Mm -hmm. he told Vince. So uh, as WWE is or WWF is promoting that Brett is going to make this decision on Monday Night Raw. So he has a meeting with Vince and Vince tells him that he's going to give him the what did he say? There's a reference. There's a Godfather reference, I think, that Vince says to Brett, according to Brett's book. And that that offer would actually be a very long contract where Brett would make uh, a few a few million a year as a wrestler, and then he would have this long contract that would allow him to just work in WWE. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a lesser lesser money deal overall, which is kind of crazy. 
Uh, it was a lesser money deal overall than the one that he wanted uh, for that Eric offered, but it was just longevity. And, you know, he a lot of what Brett was about was like mm. his legacy. He's like, what yeah. is my legacy if I leave? And it's kind of silly to think about now, right? A legacy in, you know, in WWE when they can rewrite, rewrite it for you mm-hmm. to, to their current fan base. But I was like thinking about this. If Brett does go to WCW and it's him and Piper kind of the antagonists to the NWO, I still think we probably get to Hogan and Sting in 97, which is the biggest drawing match that they would ever do. Yeah. But it would be so much more interesting with uh, characters that you would have to keep strong on the WCW side uh, with Bret Hart there because you have to justify paying him so much Mm -hmm. money. Uh, but that didn't happen, and, and thus we saw what we saw in 97. It probably would have added some more coolness to the tradition side, right? There's yeah, the, yeah. It was NWO, the uh, – what would you call them? The, not the outlaws. I guess the outlaws versus the the new wave, new world order against uh, the tradition, right? Yeah, yeah. Instead, we got J-E-F-F-J-E-F-F-R-E-F-F-T-S. <laughs> you know, picking up that mantle for us. Uh, so there's other frustrations, possibly, for Brett leaving to go to WCW, and those two would be Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan. Now, why would he be frustrated with those guys? Well, he and Ric Flair had a bit of a war. Brett had a column in the newspaper that he would write, and he would, what did he say? Yeah, you know, Flair would Flair would just do his routine or whatever, mm-hmm. and then, uh, and then you know, Rick would basically say that that you know Brett couldn't touch him and stuff. So there's frustration there. And then there's old 1993 with Hulk Hogan and Hulk Hogan never putting Brett over like Vince promised that he would uh in, you know at at SummerSlam and so there's frustration there and one of the things that Eric Bischoff promised Brett was a phone call from both men to basically say we are good with you coming to the company that was in the <laughs> negotiation it's amazing. Well, yeah, I guess, you know, they, maybe he wanted to squash it himself, you know, with Brett. I mean, with Hogan and Flair, possibly. Okay. And so, yeah, maybe. No, go ahead. Yeah. Go maybe, ahead. I was just saying, maybe Brett wanted that as well. If I'm going to go there, I want to make sure, you know, everything's out in the open between these two guys who I'm going to be working with, you know, and also, obviously, we're just going to do programs with, you know, like they're going to work together. So maybe he just wanted to, but. Yeah, I think Brett. I, I know this is a WWE show, but we talked about this when we covered 1997 WWF. It still amazes me that Vince always went with Sean over Brett mm-hmm. because here you have Brett, like as you say, got an offer for nine million for three years from the WCW. He was the one wants to take less to stay with Vince. He's the most loyal guy to Vince, and he's not a headache. On the road, you know, he has his own promiscuous, you know, demons that mm-hmm. he, you know. But other than that, that's just basic wrestling stuff, wrestlers on the road stuff, right? Celebrities on the road stuff. And he's not getting bombed or all that kind of stuff or making a fool out of himself like Sean is. But mm-hmm. Vince continues to side with Sean. I just never can never figure that out. So, yes, yes. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Okay, so what does this contract actually detail from Eric Bischoff? And I'll read the the information from uh, from Brett's book about this negotiation with Eric. So the contract played out to two point eight million per year over three years, and it was broken out as eight hundred thousand per year for a maximum of one hundred and eighty total dates as a wrestler. And two movie deals per year at a minimum of one million per movie with Turner. Uh, so it was very similar to the Hogan deal, and it allowed WCW to not have all of the expense of the contract on their books and help with their profits. So the problem with that is Scott Hall and Kevin Nash had a favored nations contract <laughs> yeah. where. If anybody came in as a free agent and they came in at above Hall and Nash, Hall and Nash would immediately get bumped. Um, so Dave had Hall and Nash pegged at 780 per year. So Hart's contract at 800 would bump them up 20,000 per year. Uh, and so that's also why they wanted to do it the way that uh you know with with the, with the Turner movie network as well as because then if you bump it if if the wrestling contract is 2.8 million then you got to raise Hall and Nash 2 million each to get to that number so mm-hmm. strategy there um and so let's see what is the last thing oh at the end uh in in order to get in in order to uh help in these negotiations because they really believe that Brett would be good in the company they agreed to waive this favored nations contract for bischoff if he needed to actually add more money to the deal in the negotiation mm-hmm. so here's what brett wrote in his book uh he talks about going to la and he was i think he was doing uh the simpsons and he i think he got a note from his agent saying bischoff wanted to talk to him and all of a sudden, he's on his way to the hotel, and then he got a note saying uh, Bischoff is on the way to the hotel too. He's like, oh, he's like, oh man, because uh, he didn't know if he really wanted to meet with him in public, or at least, you know, possibly be seen or heard with with him. So he asked uh, Bischoff asked, "What's it going to take to bring you to WCW?" Brett said, "I would want the same exact contract as Hulk Hogan plus one penny." Bischoff flabbergasted said, I can't do a deal, anything like that. Not right now. Brett said, 
that's fine. I'm not really looking to go anywhere. I'm happy where I'm at. Come on, Bischoff said. At least give me something I can go back to my people with. Anything. Brett thinks for a minute. He says, three million and a lighter schedule. And that's what Bischoff took back to their Turner folks. So Brett was sort of playing Bischoff in the sense of he, I don't think Brett himself really thought that he was going to leave, but he just wanted to see how high Bischoff would go. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty amazing because it does look like Bischoff had a really, really good offer. Yeah. There were, there was another wrestler. There were two other wrestlers here at the same time who were about to be free agents. One of them was Randy Macho Man Savage. And the uh, I believe the Halloween Havoc match <laughs> was the last match on his contract, though I believe he may have done some house uh, house show matches mm-hmm. just to kind of fill it out. But this Halloween Havoc match, he goes into the match basically with the last match on his deal. Hulk Hogan, as well, was <laughs> about to be a free agent. So both of these dudes who are in the main event of this pay-per-view unsigned as they go into the ring. Hogan supposedly, this is according to Hogan, offered a five-year deal by Vince to come to WWF to probably win the Royal Rumble in 1997 and be the heel champion at WrestleMania. Wow. That would have been crazy. That would have been cool, but I I don't believe it. I would I liked it the way the way it happened better the other way. Yeah. The real way. Uh so Brett does say, uh, I believe it's in his book, where uh in talking to Vince, Vince let him know that they were possibly going to try to get uh Hogan and Savage back. He, and he, you know, he's like, you know, I just want you to know that if you do come back, it's possible that those guys are gonna be there as well. So you know, whatever that, whatever he did, probably because he knew that Brett was uh, pissed off at Hogan. So, um, okay, Savage. By the way, he he his status is still ongoing, and we'll con- we'll continue telling that story. Though there is a, there is a funny story in the um, in the Nitro book, the Guy Evans Nitro book, where uh, he writes about Bischoff going to Savage's uh, hotel room to kind of discuss contracts. So this would have been probably before Halloween Havoc. And he said Randy Savage had a, I don't know if this was like a common thing or (coughs) just caught Savage on a bad day, but he goes into Savage's hotel room and Savage does this negotiation with Bischoff, butt ass naked. (laughs) Kind of ribbon. Possibly ribbing. And Savage also has uh, food delivered to the room and goes and answers the door to, to allow the food to come into the room. Still butt-ass naked. And Bischoff was just like, what in the hell is going on here? <laughs> uh, all right, let's talk about Ric Flair. Ric Flair was scheduled, I believe he was supposed to face the Giant on Halloween Havoc, right? Yes. So he's supposed to, face the, he's supposed to defend his U.S. title against Giant. But he has a torn rotator cuff, uh, and he was originally supposed to have the operation in uh, early October, but WCW wanted him to get a second opinion from their own doctors, and and that second opinion was also to recommend 
surgery, but they put it off for a little bit because they wanted Flair involved in this angle with Jeff Jarrett to, you know, basically put Jeff Jarrett over as horseman worthy. And the uh, the doctors didn't want him to actually really have to move his arms at all after the surgery. So they kind of delayed it a, a little bit. But yeah, so, you know, Flair gets attacked on Nitro in a match that does not happen. They're, they're promoting this match to happen. <laughs> and Flair's just laid out in the back and gets beat up. And this is part of the NWO taking over. Um, and so it looks like three months post-surgery before he could actually return. So we're talking February. Do you actually, do you actually remember when he comes back? Um, I don't think he's on, I don't think he's on Starcade. So I want to say maybe January, I think. Mm. Sting. Let's talk about Sting. <laughs> the fake Sting was in the war games and that was the big angle. And so the Monday after that pay-per-view, and this is after already that the announced team has said that the reason why Sting wasn't on the show was because he was in Japan and then Sting's uh, promo said that he was at home watching television in Atlanta. Uh, So they did not get their story straight on where Sting was during this whole fake Sting scenario before the War Games match. Uh, But he does come back and he kind of plays into the idea that he may be part of the NWO, but he uses that that old line that he still uses today about the only thing certain about Sting is nothing is certain or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And that's that's basically all that uh, we see of him this this whole period. And they're turning that the, we're not full crow yet. We're we're kind of going in that direction, but not full crow Sting yet. Yeah, he's still playing with the whole makeup concept and everything, and um. I, I, I remember the tease of him in the NWO. I remember that vividly and that look, his first crow look. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad he's, he was able to <laughs> just fine tune it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And do, is that, was that a Scott? Oh, did we eventually learn that was a Scott Hall suggestion? Yeah. Scott Hall. Scott Hall suggested the crow look. Pretty creative just, dude, that Scott Hall. Yeah. He must have just watched the, he must have been a fan <laughs> yeah. of the crow from 1994. I'm sure it was. Brandon what it was, Lee, man. Yeah. Um. All right. What did you think of before we get to uh, the rest of the things that happened on Nitro? I forgot to mention this when we talked about Savage. Um, he did like a suicide tease on the on the go home Nitro for Halloween Havoc. Did you Did you catch that? I I, I didn't catch the suicide part, but I. I got the distraught, you know, heart and and crumbles, you know, the whole Elizabeth storyline of her like pleading to Savage and and he didn't know what to do, right? Because he's been torn apart from her. Yes, and she's played him constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so yeah, the, there's a video that she cuts, basically apologizing and saying that, you know, she's wrong and she wants him back and her heart feels the same as it did when they first got married. And then Hogan does kind of a, like it was way too comedic for me. Cause he's dressed in his uh, three ninjas uh, look. 
<laughs> and and he's basically saying that, you know, yeah, Liz is just doing everything I say, and I made her do that video to screw with you. Mm. And so after that, Savage is basically like, yeah, you know, you may just have to end it. And then he just walks out, and, and uh, Eric Bischoff's like, Randy, you know, don't say that, Randy. Or he says something like that to make you believe that he actually meant commit suicide. So I was like, God, that's Jeez. kind of eerie on, on, on pro wrestling television. I was probably too distracted that they actually wheeled out this big TV <laughs> on the cart, which reminded me of like in school, you know, when they would reel out the, the TV on the cart with the VHS. Player. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I mean, quickly reminded we were 1996 watching yes. that. Uh, yes, that's... absolutely. All right. We've been talking about this guy. He finally made his debut. Glacier. Blood run cold. Why are the lights turned off during his matches? I say, you know, maybe it's the same. Maybe the same person that was uh, hired when Sin Cara was wrestling for WWF, and remember, or Kane, and kind of a year later, Kane was all red. Yeah, um, I didn't. I didn't get that part of it. Um, I think they quickly dropped that. Do you think, had he been introduced maybe a little bit differently in that? They set it up so high for him to come in. And then when you saw him, you're like, eh, he's cool. We didn't need eight weeks of promos from him. It was just too long. You know, they teased it for too long where people, uh, you get to a point where you don't even care, you know, anymore. I think it was what, like eight weeks, right? Or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of started off all right with like feuding with the Dungeon of Doom when the, the big boss man or whatever big Bubba was his first opponent which I thought well you saw Nitro which was I thought he did a great job with him but like maybe like if they would debut this character pre-NWO where he's kind of like thrust into you know fighting the the Dungeon of Doom because that kind of fits you know this whole mystical kind of characters mm-hmm. and stuff I, I think it probably would work better then but I don't, I don't think it ever is going to be a major deal, but I guess they were hoping that little kids, you know, would be into this because of the popularity of Mortal Kombat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, the NWO expands. Uh, we mentioned this on an episode of the Fight Game Podcast, but uh, the first, the first Nitro after the War Games match, Sean Waltman in the audience just plastered off of his ass. <laughs> My God, this dude slurring on television just, I, I i wonder what the what the deal was there um, i wonder what dibiase was thinking next to him like oh my god yeah the most professional human on this wrestling show <laughs> next to this guy who just w- signs a contract to join the hot act and just wasted and he was like that was wrecked his reputation early on right like of the click he was the little buddy that would get drunk and be stupid and they would laugh at you know what i mean yeah right so and, and and if you you know you know the the current Sean Waltman is so much different than that Sean Waltman. Mm-hmm. So I'm not I'm not making fun of the the real life Sean Sean Waltman today. It's just looking back, you're just like, man, that was so unprofessional. And obviously, he's a changed person. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he would say the same thing yeah. today. Yeah. It's got to suck for him to kind of relive some of this stuff though, because a lot of his current career is doing these. Uh, interviews and you know doing this fan stuff and i'm sure that Mm -hmm. stuff comes up in conversation yeah well he went through a very 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 dark period for a very long time don't forget the stuff with china oh yeah oh yeah all that so 
you know, bouts with alcohol and substance abuse and all that. And then they added somebody to the NWO who wasn't necessarily a big star or a big heavyweight currently, though he was <laughs> a big star if you want to go back to the late 80s and early 90s. Hadn't been much of a thing in wrestling for a little while. But uh, the the previous Virgil comes in as Ted DiBiase's bodyguard now, I guess, instead of butler. Uh, but he, he he's given the name of Vincent. <laughs> First they were calling him Vince, right? Yeah. And they quickly changed it to Vincent. Yeah, and Virgil. They, they had to change VK Wall Street's name, too. Yeah, too. Back to Michael Wall Street. Yeah. Um, Virgil, Vincent... I mean, I I didn't mind Virgil, of course, then his, his peak, right? Which is the 80s with DiBiase's. That's DiBiase's second. I was into the 1991 storyline with him, you know, him finally standing up to DiBiase. But once, like, after that WrestleMania match, right, I was kind of tired of it at that point, you mm-hmm. know? And then, and then he was just never a really good wrestler and – course he ended up being slotted down as like you know mainly uh lower mid-card baby face slash enhancement talent at that point but um you know just another guy to get you know i think you know hogan just getting one of his buddies hired and also bischoff could just make a little jab at uh Vince McMahon. that's literally the entire reason that they signed him was to make this one joke on this one tv show and then they just had to keep doing it yeah, it, it did. It only it only mattered that one time. That's it. And then remember when Vince Russo took over in ninety nine, two thousand. He called him Shane. Shane. Uh, before that, I think he was in the uh, West Texas Rednecks, or whatever they were called. He was Curly Mo, yes. wearing a cowboy hat. This <laughs> <laughs> like ridiculous. But the guy got paid good money to just walk out there, you know, for how many years and. And barely wrestle, and uh, it's amazing. Jeff Jarrett, you mentioned Jeff Jarrett. He comes in. He is, I think his character is supposed to be a little bit hotter than the response to him is. I don't think that that fan base sees him as a giant star, and they bring him in like he should be the next uh, Randy Savage in uh, 1984 WWE when every manager wants him. And so the idea is that, oh, is, he's just going to be the next guy in the NWO. And I don't, the, does the NWO even ask him? I don't, I don't remember no. if they ask him. DiBiase no. will mention later that, you know, Jarrett chose to not be in the NWO, but they never actually courted him on TV. It was just in interviews when he kind of said, you know, I don't want to be part of the NWO. I want to be w- mm-hmm. with what you said, the tradition. Like, he, that was heavy in his thing was the tradition of of uh, NWA. And he didn't like Hogan talking about he's the, the biggest star in wrestling and bigger than the AWA. <laughs> like, so, like uh, Hogan is bigger than the AWA, dude. The AWA is dead. <laughs> that was funny. But, yeah, like, that whole thing was, I don't know. It, it didn't really work similarly to him tr- kind of sort of doing the same thing. In uh, in WWE when we watched uh, WWE yeah. the next year, right? Yeah, I mean Jeff 
Jarrett's a, a really good worker, a really good talent, but I, I, he was never that main event level guy, at least on the major promotions. You know, in USWA, Memphis, he could be, but when it came to WWF, WCW, you know, right upper mid card is, you know, perfect for him. You know, mm-hmm. either way, preferably more. I would think he's a more a natural heel. I mean, he was featured on top. He got a little over during the 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 dart shots to the women and all that, and and you know, Vince Russo brought him back, brought him into WCW, and featured him there uh, on top after he held Vince McMahon ransom. Yeah, but I I don't think n- people never really saw him at that level until he went to team. He started his own company. Yeah, put himself on top, but he's a really good talent. My issue too is is that his gear is still the same gimmick, the same gear that he used in WWF. Yeah. Which was a ridiculous looking gear, right? It's good for the flamboyant, cocky well, showman. If he was really a rock star, or if he was yeah. really a, a, you know, a singer, that's what you it, would wear. That's kind of what Jericho would wear, like you know, if he mm-hmm. was in a concert or something. Yeah, it works. It works for that a heel character, but not for, you know, I'm here for I'm here to stand up for tradition. You know, he should have dropped the, the guitar strings. You know look on those tights and 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 went back to just you know because he's a good body you know just be like a a a good looking baby face you know but i wonder if he thought he was going to come in and he was going to be courted by dibiase and them and then he was going to be the one to say no to get that pop but they just never did that and when they did it they they did to someone that was getting hot and when he said no Made himself a bigger star. That was a Dallas, David Dallas yeah, Page. Yeah, yeah. So, Dave, Dave also wrote that the only other person that is kind of out there on the horizon for the NWO is Bam Bam Bigelow. But then he said Bigelow was actually anti-click in WWF, and mm-hmm. those were the reasons why he left. So there's there's almost no way that Bigelow is going to be part of NWO. It doesn't. I, I think this is '97, but it doesn't Crush show up soon? And WCW, I think it, I think it was around early '97, not '96. Yeah, might be right. Actually, it might be later '97 because you know there's still a bunch of people from the WCW roster who switch over, which I think is probably coming soon, maybe next month. So then, the Nasty Boys got to talk about the Nasty Boys. They're uh, getting worked by the <laughs> Hulkster. I like this. This is great. Okay, but you know who didn't like it was the Nasty Boys. So oh, in real life? Yeah, so Dave writes, oh. behind the scenes, the Nasty Boys have been complaining to Hogan about things after working a series of matches against Hall and Nash, who played to the crowd as baby faces and didn't sell, leaving the Nasties to be booed and look stupid. And Dave <laughs> wrote, actually, that's the entire angle. <laughs> so the, I'm sure they, they were pretty frustrated with that whole thing because they were just played for the patsies uh, at the end there. And they got jumped by the entire. It was. It was. They. They were the uh, Brutus Beefcake uh, example uh, in this. This. This month, when 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 Beefcake came to Hogan and was like, "Ah, oh, I'm Team NWO," and mm-hmm. Hogan's like, "If I if I can beat up my best friend, what do you think I'm going to do against somebody I don't like?" And same thing with the Nasties. He's like, "Look, these guys are my friends. I trust them, and I'm I'm still." Uh, the, you know I, that this is how much of a heel I am. I'm I'm still going to beat them up, even though I love them. Yeah, I I'm not a fan of the Nasty Boys for some reason. Brian Hobbs just is like 
nails the chalkboard for me. <laughs> like he's just one of those guys that he's the loud friend that you just can't stand, you know, like, yeah. Oh, this guy's here again. Like that's, that's, that's Brian Nobbs or the crazy uncle that yeah. you don't want around. That's Brian Nobbs. I mean, Jerry Sachs, I like, but Brian, Nob so I, I guess it, for me, it was entertaining to see them be treated like goofs. <laughs> what do you think about Matt Gafari, who they kept showing? In God, the I, was, I remember him. Uh, 96 Olympics, right? And and every time Dave wrote about Gafari, mm -hmm. he also wrote about Kurt Angle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I thought it was um, cool, and I remember like that. Man, there was like talk, talk about him going to, to to pro wrestling, right? At one point, right? So. Mm -hmm. And then Kurt Angle ended up being the, the bigger star. Jeez. All right, last bit here before we get to the Halloween Havoc pay-per-view. Dave writes, and this is when, if you had a friend who had a satellite dish, like that person was like the coolest person <laughs> in the world. Yeah. Dave wrote, at the Nitro from Cleveland on September 30th, if you had a dish, you could find the backhaul feed from the hotel room angle, which is that they did a whole episode of guys in the hotel and kind of partying and hanging out, all the NWO folks, and just kind of strategizing. And he said, uh, he wrote, you could see Kevin Sullivan after the NWO segments handing the guys their scripts, telling them where to sit and what to say. And then Dave wrote, it's amazing something that bad was actually scripted. He said, anyway, after the show ended, those watching on Dishes could see Savage and Liz walk back into the room where Eric Bischoff Sullivan and the NW guy, NWO guys were all talking about what a great job they had done. <laughs> you know what? You, I'm watching those hotel segments with the NWO, and I'm thinking, like, this is the biggest room they can get yeah. for Hogan. And, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, this is like, hey, where's the two bottles of Don Perignon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're all scrunched on a couch <laughs> like oh god i'm like this doesn't look good at all all right let's get to this pay-per-view halloween havoc from las vegas the mgm grand yeah have you ever been in that building yeah not this not mgm but not the not the um the arena uh yeah the i saw i think i've seen uh a couple of ufc fights there I want to say I saw Connor there, and I think I may have seen Ronda there as well in the MGM Grand. And then, obviously, the very first uh, AEW pay per view mm -hmm. was at was at the MGM Grand. I like. I mean, I like that. I like that that casino and everything. I like. I, it's older, I know, but like, it's just kind of legendary in its own right, right? With all of the events I've had there. Yeah, so. well, just historical boxing, boxing yep. matches: Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao and De La Hoya. Uh, okay, this show, because of being in Las Vegas, it sets the all-time gate record in WCW history up to this point at like 240-some-odd thousand uh, mm. for, for the gate. The Let's go over the dark matches here. Dark match number one, Jim Powers, who is, for some reason, he is in an angle with, uh, with Teddy Long <laughs> as his manager. And he is the uh, the vehicle in which Nick Patrick can keep cheating and Teddy Long could keep getting mad at Nick Patrick, the referee, for cheating. That's Jim yeah. Powers' role in WCW right now. Yeah, I don't understand 
why they want to put Teddy Long with Jim Powers and and what where's this leading with Nick Patrick and Teddy Long? Is Teddy Long going to be on the Bayface side with Sting and or Luger and those guys, the Horsemen? No, right? It's just, I guess, just another showcase. Someone's uh, clued in on the idea or has you know the radars up. This guy's uh, doing crooked things, I guess. But Jim Powers all over WWE Nitro this time frame. There's the episode of basically the NWO takeover episode, which would be, uh, I believe it was September 23rd, where they basically hold Eric Bischoff hostage and they run the entire show. You have Mm -hmm. Paul White doing the ring announcing. You have uh, Kevin Nash kind of doing play by play while he's in the match. (laughs) Uh, and, And so Scott Hall. Uh, Jim Powers is in a match, and Scott Hall is putting this putting Jim Powers over basically for how many how much steroids he takes to get his physique the way he looks. Yeah, yeah, looking gassed, looking <laughs> everything else he said. But yeah, I, you know, at first I thought this was going to be that. This also happens in night in nineteen ninety seven. I want to say around April, but this is when uh, the NWO is at their height, I guess. And Bischoff is more now. Now he's pro NWO at this point, and then. Um, Nash is on commentary with Bischoff and totally catches Bischoff off guard when he's like, you know, NWO number one, you know, you know WCW number two, uh, ECW number three. <laughs> and then like Jim Bischoff goes, ECW. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a story in the Nitro book. Bischoff. I don't know if he fully had the idea that he wanted to be in the NWO Mm. like right away, or maybe it was like something he wasn't sure, you know, Hogan was into or whatever, but he had talked to one of the Turner execs and he was like, you know, what do you think if I'm not the announcer and I join the act? And the, the guy basically told him like, it's a terrible idea to keep doing what you're doing. Like why, you know, why uh, try and fix something that isn't broken yet? And Bischoff did not like that feedback. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll dive deeper. Yeah. That'll that. be, that'll be the next, that'll be the next episode where we go deeper into the, the I have a lot who say, Eric a lot Bischoff about becomes. That. A lot to say about that. All right. So Jim Powers beat Pat Tanaka in the opening dark match. Psychosis and Hooventude defeated <laughs> Damien and Halloween when... Was he called Halloween or Sikope? Dave wrote Halloween. Oh, God, you know, I have to look back because I remember... So these matches would have been on what? One of the weekend shows? Main event. Yeah. Probably main event. So I, I like to go back because, I mean, he might have done one show as Halloween, but they qu- quickly trained him to Sikope. Uh, and then the opener, so there's only two dark matches... The opener was awesome. Dean Malenko, Rey Mysterio Jr., uh, 18 minutes and 32 seconds. Uh, You know, we're doing this conversation uh, about Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Have you sent in your ballot yet? Yes, they did. Okay, because ballots due this week. On the 8th, yep, tomorrow. Uh, yeah, we're we're recording this on oh. uh, on a Tuesday, but it'll be yeah. up it'll be up the weekend. So yeah, the Wednesday the eighth is is when the the ballots do. And I'm watching Dean Malenko, and I'm like, man, I wish this guy had like a a, a longer career where he could have been showcased, or maybe he was born twenty years too early and he should actually be wrestling now. 
This guy is a master. He's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So am- timing, just placement, where he's supposed to be in the ring. Nothing's ever, he's never in the wrong spot. Everything is so crisp. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This match was so fun to watch. Yeah. This is, uh, I love this match. Uh, D Malenko, I mean, I, he should, probably should be in the Hall of Fame. I know, I know, I think you should be able to get in for work right? you know, I mean, I think. Not just drawing power stuff. There has well, to be I mean, it, it, like the the whole thing is with the three categories. If you're yeah. like overly dominant in one mm-hmm. category, you can get in. Like that's the whole Ishii conversation right now that people are having, which is you know if you look at the star ratings of matches or the cage match ratings, like as far as those ratings are concerned, Ishii's like one of the top guys going. And so, does is that enough to get him in? And that didn't vote him in. <laughs> the arg- the argument is, you know, how how good do you have to be in one one of the the three buckets? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, because the problem with Malenko is this: just in the United States, he was never top guy. Yeah, and on longevity too, on or at least in a major promotion, yeah. right? And then, but yeah, he's also he's also one of my favorite opponents for Rey Mysterio. Their chemistry was just top notch. Plus, I love their program in this this year, nineteen ninety six. Yeah, um, this match is awesome. There's the, what this uh, Ray's put up his mask, right? It's a mask for the for the title for the mask or something like that. I forget why. There's well, a there's Saturday Night Show where he took the mask off Ray. Well, what, yeah. What happened is Dean took the mask and he was kind of just keeping it, and then during this match, Ray somehow gets the match back and he changes his mask mid match. So he actually gets the mask back and he kind of ducks his head down in the ring to switch out the mask. And he does it in a way where Bobby Eaton's like, zoom in, zoom in. (laughs) That must be like something they train in Lucha uh, training centers, right? Cause I, you you and I would mess that up. You know what it's like is, uh, you know, I think we are all adults enough to have, to, to, to have this example. But if you, uh, see a uh, a woman like unhook her own bra versus how long it takes us to unhook the, the, the bra. Like and that's how Ray was. Ray was like snap yeah. of a finger, boom, mask is gone, and you're like, wow, I didn't even see him like take it off or 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 whatever. It was so quick. Yeah, but I, I, this match is really good. I like it because this it's a, it's a style clash because you have a, a bat technician at Malenko with the high flying Ray Mysterio. So those always to me those two combinations blend really well together and what's plus you have like a, a just a, a master at it with Malenko and Ray too, of course, who was sensational, but still very green, but still figuring it all out, but still so unique at the time. Now mm-hmm. it's like everyone does exactly what he does. Like in like four matches of each TV show. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so Malenko gets the pin, Dr. Bomb off the middle ropes, gets the title back. <sighs> And uh, yeah, just great stuff. I, I loved that, all of it. That doctor bomb off the second rope was pretty stiff, man. That was like, ah, well, fuck it. At least the last move, <laughs> you know. That's basically what it was. Yeah. I give this match about four stars. That's I really enjoyed it. Dave gave it four and a half. Yeah. The yeah the the, the reason part of the reason why they were such great opponents is because Dean would actually do some of this stuff and because Ray is so small, it would look like he was killing the dude. Mm-hmm. And so it, was, it just looked vicious. Uh, and, you know, Dean's ice cold character, you know, just, it just made him look even, even more of that, of that in this match. I know like 
Dean Malenko versus Eddie Guerrero got them on the map within the United States, right? Mm -hmm. But to me, I think Dean Malenko, Rey Mysterio, their trilogy is far far superior than Eddie and Dean's, in my opinion. But do you think Eddie was a better opponent for Ray than Dean? Uh, they had that classic the Halloween happened next year. Yeah, the following year, I mean. So, um, uh, they're both really good. You know, I think they're both strong in their own their own their own way. Because Eddie is in the next match, and this was not as good as, as the previous match. DDP against Eddie. This program. I think it could have been more than it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess Eddie was sick during this match. What? Uh, and, and hurt before, and then, he, and then he got hurt during the match, and so they had to cut yeah. a bunch of stuff out of it. So by the yeah. time they actually got to the pin, you're like, "Huh? That's it? The match is <laughs> over?" Was uh, Eddie was Eddie hurt before this match? I'm talking about like in like the weeks leading up to this match. Cause he wasn't on TV it was even at months actually. Cause it was, it was DDP and Chavo, right? Yeah. Or was Eddie in Japan doing the black? Yeah. Tiger I, I, stuff? yeah actually, I don't know, but basically but this match, he did get hurt though. Yeah. So the, the story was about the battle bowl ring, which Eddie had then won. And then this, this angle gets a little racist. Like DDP starts calling him burrito boy. I did not yeah. remember that part of this angle. Um, yeah, I mean, just t- at the time, I guess, you know. But just... but still, like, DDP's character wasn't, like, a racist. Like, that was, that's the first time I remember him making a comment like that. So it was almost like, I don't know, maybe they're just trying to get more heat or because Guerrero's not there, so he's yeah. trying to... Wh- whatever it was, I was just expecting Guerrero to come out on fire, and he kind of, he actually did, but... The match was wasn't nearly as good as I thought it was going to be, and then DDP hit the diamond cutter out of nowhere, and Shivani missed the call. Uh, of course, that is kind of what he does even today, and people still think he's a legend. Um, and so the finish just came off, uh, just so off, and and I was just like, "Huh, that's it?" And then I was like, "Oh, all right, next match." Yeah, yeah, it it was unfortunate that Eddie got hurt, and it kind of just ended just flat. But um, I don't know. It's about to me. It was it was like a still two star match. Um, I think the biggest news. Remember the, the that the story was like, where's the ring? Right? Who has the ring? Yeah, yeah. and then it's just and in the corner. <laughs> no, Nick Patrick put it had it in his pocket. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, I remember Nick Patrick gave it to him. Had, I didn't know that he had it. So I think that was um, a start, at least, of the tease of. DDP going into the NWO mm-hmm. or they're, they're, they're courting him. So he got the court, the courting gimmick, not just Jared. Dave had it at two and a half. Okay. Uh, Guerrero was also down in the ring and that was because he was just hurting. Yeah. After yeah. the match. Okay. Now this was an interesting one. Cause I was very in, I, I was wondering how they were going to book this thing where you have Jeff Jarrett as this new brand new character and you put him against like the one unbeatable guy in the whole company. And so the optics were interesting, but I was like, man, what are they going to do booking wise? So what happens is that uh, basically Ric Flair, it's the Ric Flair show essentially 
and he low blows the giant. He hits him with the chair on the outside. Jarrett is actually able to put the figure four on the giant uh, on the outside. But Flair gets Jarrett disqualified. And uh, the giant's about to fire up because he's pissed. And then all the horsemen jump in the ring. And giant's like, eh, I'll, I'll, I'll find you uh, on a better day. And he walks out. This was a really good match. Until Flair, for some damn reason, had to had to get on the mic and start jaw jacking the giant. It was so awkward. Like Jeff Jarrett was doing an awesome job making the giant look just just so powerful, right? Mm-hmm. Bumping all over him. They were telling a good story. The crowd was getting into it, and then it just kind of the finish was was blah. But and then I Flair just all of a sudden, like in the middle of the match, just popping on the mic drove me insane. Like, dude. Come on, man. You know, but Flair had to do Flair things, I guess. Yeah. Get himself over. In a sense, they were finally strong again for that one moment, the horsemen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. It would be a fleeting moment, but they were finally, you were finally like, yeah, the horsemen are back just for that, that one, that one moment. Yeah. This was about a, I mean, with the finish, being you know, a bad finish as it was, I still have probably around the two star range as well. Yeah. That's exactly what Dave had it. Uh, in a match that I had a little bit of higher hopes for, but still thought it was good, uh, I just was kind of wondering in the back of my mind, I was watching this, you know, thinking about, is this one of like the secretly great matches? I couldn't remember. <laughs> and it was six and uh, as Sean Waltman against Chris Jericho. Uh, he, he pins him after a, uh, the that reverse kick. And, you know, it was good. It just never got to that level of where you think. When you think about these two guys, especially that young in their careers, mm-hmm. you know, just to let them go, it, it was good, but it never got to that that top, top level. Uh, but also, the other thing that this match was really about, Nick Patrick, yeah, you know, slow counting and hurting his neck. You know, his neck, he can't finish the count and all, you know, fastly and, and, and all that, which plays into... Uh, the the end of this show uh, as yeah. well, or later in the show. Yeah, it was it was a good match. Um, I don't think it was designed to be the show st- stealing match in the card, but um, but yeah, it's about about the solid three stars. I thought three and a quarter is what Dave had it at. Yeah, and they end up, of course, having history later on in uh, in the summer of '97. Them too. So now in the match that I thought was. From a promo perspective, maybe the best built-up match, even though, you know, there was a couple promos where I was like, Lex was doing a good job, and then he just had to go on for another 30 seconds and could just couldn't close the promo in the way that he wanted. And I was like, you did, you were real, you were on fire for about 90% of that thing. But then we get to Halloween Havoc, and uh, someone told Lex to get the blow dryer out. I thought it was the Vegas heat, maybe. We need to feather this hair out so much so that uh, you look like, uh, I don't know, Farrah Fawcett or or somebody. (laughs) It looked like, uh, dude, it's it's 96, not 1986, dude. Exactly. So, your sister would have been impressed by this mane that Luger had. The feathered hair was throwing me off, too. I was just like, I couldn't stop just staring at the hair. I'm, I'm guessing maybe the humidity. Uh, is immediately bad in October of uh, 27. Yeah, but why didn't he just wear it in the ponytail? Because he wore it in the ponytail a lot. That's what I'm saying. That's why I would have told him. Like, dude, yeah. put in the, stick it back in that ponytail, bro. Yeah. Luger, Luger was fired up in this one, though. 
He was like, you, you know, you keep calling me a coward. Uh, one of the angles to set up the match was Luger, Luger won a match and then got attacked by Arn after. There was one match where he had to wrestle Roadblock, and he tried to put this dude up in the rack, <laughs> like the, the torture rack. And it took him three times, and poor Roadblock just had to fall on his face because Lex couldn't get him up. Had to All fall right. on his face two times. My theory about that match with Roadblock is they weren't. He wasn't ever going to rack him originally, right? Once he found out the match he's going to have, who's going to work that night, all that, he's probably like, ah, I'm not going to rack this guy. I'll, probably, I'll give him the old forearm, right? But I think someone ribbed him. And start saying, I don't know if you can. Do you think you can rock that guy? And then there's another guy, and then, and then they, they all got together like a group. Now you go up to tell Luger, I don't know if you can rock that guy. And all of a sudden, you just really play into you know his ego. Like I can do it, I can do it. And so once the master, this is why a vision happened in the back. All the guys got in a circle, started pulling out money. All right, who do you got? They got a rack is going to drop. You know, they can. Will you be able to do it or not? And then he took three tries, but he got big old roadblock up there for the. The torture rack. So I like that explanation, but I believe he did it either on a house show or on a Saturday night to test it and was able to do it correctly. And so this time on the, on the big show on nitro, he was like, okay, I know how to do this. And it just just didn't work out. But I just was like, poor roadblock. This dude just had to keep being dropped on his face. Like, well, if you Watch that match closely. Luger's not having the best time in there with Roadblock working yeah. with him stuff. They were not on the same page, and Luger's so, getting really frustrated. Was that Roadblock guy? Uh, there's a story about him. I think mm-hmm. where didn't he? He attacked somebody shooting. No. Not attack anyone. He was at a. Uh, I want to say I'm in New York City, East Coast somewhere. WWF house show. Hogan's wrestling, and he went over the guardrail to, to challenge him because he's this massive guy, right? And he didn't, at the time, he wasn't trained as a wrestler. He just thought, like, you know, I could beat you, you know what I mean? That kind of deal. So, and I think uh, then he got ended up getting trained. I forget who trained him. I don't know. If, like, But I know he was, like, in ICW, New York, the Civil Oldies promotion and stuff. Okay. Right? I thought he had, like, jumped in the ring and tried to shoot, like, tried to attack somebody. I think he jumped the rail to challenge. I don't think they ever got physical um and what was up with his hair dude well what's with, who why do you saw luger's hair well who told us <laughs> they had to dye his hair blonde you know the guy's massive though you know huge yeah, guy big dude giant so in this match it was really just about revenge luger hits anderson in the back with the chair a few times which is payback for what arn did to him on nitro mm-hmm. and then he put him in the torture rack and anderson submitted and after the match, uh, the Flair was very concerned, and they had to take him out on a stretcher, and he had to go to the hospital. Flair and Jarrett goes with him to explain the next angle on this match. Uh, but what would you give that match? Um, I thought it was a solid three star match. I think I thought you know, Arn's always really solid, but people didn't recognize Luger was working really hard. In '96 and yes, in '97, I thought he was really busting his ass in this match, and he's really motivated. You could tell, right? Um, so yeah, I give it a solid three. Dave had it at two and three quarter. Yeah, you and Dave have been within a quarter of a star or a half. No, actually, a half of a star uh, on mm-hmm. all these within a quarter or a half. 
All right, Steve McMichael and Chris Benoit against Ming and the Barbarian. Uh, this was all about the Kevin Sullivan and woman situation. Uh, so the match was the match. It's still very early in McMichael's career. Uh, I I do agree with you that Ming and uh, Barbarian, the way that they were presented was uh, was pretty cool. Even even if the matches you knew the matches weren't going to be fantastic, just their presentation yeah, of just being ass. ultimate ass kickers uh, was awesome. And uh, the the scariest spot of uh, <laughs> of the whole thing was when I saw Benoit do the the head headbutt from the top rope, like his body, the way that his body flies through the air, like his neck mm-hmm. is like kind of. It, 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 there's no way for him to really save his his neck when he when his body hits, which is probably why he had the the neck problems. But mm-hmm. this dude, man, he he he, turn, he he turns his face and he lands with his he lands with his shoulder first, but his face hits the. It's almost like that elbow drop where you you're connecting not with the elbow point of the elbow, but you're hitting with the the pocket of your arm right mm-hmm. in the armpit. It's like that same theory, but there's no way to protect your neck. You can't take that. He did that nightly, right? Yeah. So. And he's jumping so high because he's a good athlete, jumping so far. Far, the, yeah. The finish was uh, Steve McMichael hit Meng with the briefcase, and then Benoit did the headbutt off the top rope. So Barbarian then gets the briefcase, and uh, then Ming hits uh, – then he hits McMichael, and then Ming gives him a pile driver, so he's out. Kevin Sullivan, and then Conan and Big Bubba, who were just hanging out ringside the whole show for this Bubber. for this one spot to come into this match. <laughs> uh, they uh, they hit the ring, and it's five on one on Benoit, and he's fighting, he's fighting, he's fighting, but finally he uh, it's too much for him. Uh, and, and McMichael's trying to get back, but then Kevin Sullivan uh, hits him with a briefcase again, so. This whole thing was for Kevin Sullivan to grab woman and take off his shirt. And I was getting like weird vibes of it going like, is he trying to basically tell her that he's going to have sex with her whenever he wants? Like, where are we going here? But he just yells at her and says, no matter what, I'm the man. And that was kind of it. But the yeah. taking off the shirt thing <laughs> kind of spooked me out a little bit. I was like, I, oh, where are we going here? I think it's it was the visual because he took the shirt off. I don't think he had a, his, he had that tank, white tank top yeah, on, yeah. Right? which, you know, was not PC to call it now. Insinuates but, something. Yes, yes. So I think that's what they were going for. Um but again, though, we talked about last 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 month. They never really explained the relationship between women and Kevin Sullivan. No. So it's just it's that, that's, you... that's where but we are supposed to be internet fans and going like yeah. uh oh he we, yeah. that that wasn't part of the script. What we gotta do our research here. What's going this, on? Yeah, this is the same issue that plagued today. So plagues wrestling today with W with EAW with times of Tony Khan. He expects everyone to know all this stuff and unless you're the hardcore hardcore fans, the casual viewers like what the hell is this all about? Yeah. Um the match was good. I think Mongo though he's so green and raw, 
I think this played more into his strength, more yeah. of the meat slapping, the shoulder tackles. Like he got to do the three point stance and stuff with Ming and and you know that kind of stuff, easy stuff, stuff that he could do because Barbarian and Ming aren't, aren't grabbing inside headlocks and getting shot off to the ropes and are doing spots, right? It's it's punch and kick and power moves. So I thought this was a good match for Mongo. Benoit was good. Ming and Barbarian are are really good. Um, and this is the match that Barbarian launched Benoit to like the next planet, right? Like with that belly belly suplex. Was that yeah. on Nitro? Yeah, yeah. Standing on the top rope. Yeah, and uh, just launched him, dude. What a, I mean, Bobby Heenan marked out big time for that bump. That was nuts. That was a nutty bump. Um, so I, I get this match about, I'm going to say two and three quarter. Dave had it at star and a half. Oh, Dave was, <laughs> he had the, he, the Mongo factor, I think played into this one. All right. Hall and Nash win the WCW tag team titles over Harlem heat. I thought this match was actually pretty good it was pretty good i i was a little worried because i was kind of wondering i'm like okay what like how how is this match gonna go is this just gonna be a lot of nonsense but this is where you you go booker t's gonna be something like he's gonna legit be somebody at some point i think harlem heat just they're hitting their groove as a tag team here the psychology um, I like this because you had two heels, right? Yeah. And when Harlem Heat as the baby faces were still wrestling as heels, and then when uh, you know National Hall, of course, wrestled as heels. So I, I, I really liked the story of this match. I didn't like the finish that well with Colonel Rod Parker's involvement. Um, but overall, I thought it was a a a, a really good match. So. I, I I thought it was like three and a quarter star, maybe three and a half. Personally, yeah, I really enjoyed Dave it. Had it at three and a quarter. Yeah, I didn't like the finish. I didn't like the way I know Colonel. I know it fits his character. Colonel Rob Parker comes in. He has the cane. He's going to hit. Uh, I believe it's Nash mm-hmm. with the cane. And of course, he's such a coward. That's his character. He just drops the cane or hands the cane to mm-hmm. Kevin Nash. He uses it on on Harlem Heat. I think because the Public Enemy beats. Harlem Heat for the tag team titles yes. a few weeks earlier. Then Harlem Heat ends up winning it back with the help from Kevin Ash and, and Scott Hall. And I, from what I understand, I, I, you might have already saw this from your research. I believe when Bischoff signed Public Enemy, he promised them a run as tag team champions. And I think that was in their contract, and that's why they do this quickie child change. Mm. Hmm. No, I, I, I haven't seen that yet, at least. I believe so, because that's the only reason. I'm, I remember reading about that a long time ago, and I, and, I, and it makes sense because Nash and Hall aren't going to lose the public enemy, right? Yeah, yeah. So they got to do it, yeah, do a little quickie deal. Um, But that whole thing was a mess up, right? That whole finish of that match was bizarre and really poorly done. But they could have done a thing where Colonel Rob Parker – costs Harlem Heat the tag team titles with the public enemy. They kick out Pup, you know, they split up with Parker or Sherry gets pissed off at him and kicks him out. So we don't see Parker. Mm-hmm. And maybe he comes out during this match, like to try to make good, to try to help out, you know, Harlem Heat, try to win their back in their good graces, but ends up failing and backfiring, not by giving them the cane, but simply trying to hit Nash 
and it doesn't work, maybe Nash no sells it, or or maybe or maybe Nash just grabs his hand and stops him, mm-hmm. punches him, and then uses the cane. I, I I just didn't like the whole like he just drops it and or gives it to Nash, and that's I, I didn't like that part of it. And in the main event, now I'm going to read you this lead sentence in Dave's review of this match. The ghost of Hulk Hogan pinned the corpse of Randy Savage. Whoa! In 1837, of what turned into a Jimmy Valiant-style comedy match, which made no sense given the storyline of this as the ultimate grudge match. Wow. Dave did not like this one. No, he didn't. Hogan what'd, you, what'd you think before? Before <sighs> I was into the Hogan character at this point a lot when I was younger. I remember just loving the, you know, the kind of the comedy of it and how, you know, Macho Man was kind of like, you know how like when you have like a little brother or a, a mm-hmm. little cousin and you can kind of like put your hand out and they'll put their head against their your hand and they'll try to like come rush at you, but they're not strong enough to even like you just hold them there. Like that's kind of how I saw this feud is no matter what Savage did, Hogan was always going to somehow some way come out on top. And so I remember when this match happened, I was just I was just loving seeing Hogan again. Like I never thought I was going to see that guy be a top level wrestler ever again in my life you know Mm -hmm. at that point you know to have that extra run and but ultimately this what this match watching it in uh in 2023 did is i just felt bad for savage because then i was gonna this was gonna be one of the questions about this match is this guy what he was asked to do to put this group over Mm -hmm. knowing what we know about him being the the renegade in Memphis and you know with the 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 stuff that he did to kind of get on the radar with Jerry Lawler like that dude was a renegade and this dude is just getting beat up by these guys and having no one to save him over and over and over and over so at some point you just go well, he must be an idiot. Like this happens every single time and he doesn't learn. He doesn't bring his friends out. There's no one to save him. He's fallen. You know, Liz is messing with his mind, which means Hogan as the heel is smarter than the baby face. I just felt bad for him. This entire, this entire month of TV, including this match. I just felt bad for Randy Savage. I mean, I personally like this match a lot. Um, the I thought, after all the abuse that Savage got Lee into his match, I thought he probably should have had something. But now, now, now that he told me that his contract is up, you know, he had to put him over, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Savage at this time in his life, his career, understood like what you do for the business. If you're leaving or you're up, you know, you you do your best to to put over, you know, to leave the better, leave the lead the place like you know hogan's the top heel put him over strong he might not be back he might be going to the wwf right there's a chance of that um just like in smoky mountain right like cornet talks about this all the time where he brought savage in to work bruiser bedlam many people remember from the dark side of the ring mm-hmm. and i think lance storm cried in that episode yeah sat and savage 
who's this big WWF star, former world champion, right? All this stuff knew the deal and understood the deal. Like, here, I, I want to help your territory out. You know, I'm not here for the long haul. I'm going to make this, this guy you want to be is one of your top heels. I'm going to put him over. Like he was completely professional about it. So I could see Savage doing all he can to, to get over Hogan, get over the NWO. Um, I liked Hogan's performances. I thought he was fantastic. Like I love the cocky arrogance wearing the three ninjas uh, um, wig, right? The flat top. Um, he's begging off. He's stalling. He's doing all this, this, this really just traditional heel stuff. And I even loved that. I'm like, I was, I totally forgot about this match. And I love that the wig came off and savage, <laughs> but that's great, right? It's great. That's great. Well, shit. It's, it's you know? great because the live crowd is going nuts. For yeah. It. And I, and I ain't got a kick out of watching it. So I really enjoyed Hogan's performance. I wish he was this Hogan for majority of the time as Hollywood Hogan, because I think he later on would become too strong. Like he would dominate, not sell, show his ass as much. Yeah. Right. Like in this match, he literally showed his ass in this match. Um, but like, you know, back off more for the baby phase, bump more for the baby phase. He was bumping a lot for Savage in this match. Um, crowd was into this match big time, big into Savage. I don't think Savage got hurt in the build. Um, and Savage lost and Hogan, God, man, like you just hate this guy. Like this guy's what an ass. And these guys, who's going to stop these? But you have to kind of keep it going, right? You got to keep adding fuel to the fire of the NWO. If that's your plan to eventually get to staying in a year, like you got to keep NWO on top. Though there's some peaks and valleys, right? Luger winning the title from Hogan in the summer of 97, stuff like that, you know, Piper coming in, getting a little measure of a little success against Hogan early on. So, but yeah. So if you were of the mentality that, you know, I want to see Savage get some vengeance here. He he did take a lot of the match. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth yes. came out. She, you know, this was very reminiscent of WrestleMania 5. <laughs> She's like standing in the middle, like not picking sides. Uh, but she actually is picking sides. She She's on Savage's side. and But Hogan keeps yelling at her to go back to his side of the corner. Um. And, and so what happens is, is Randy Anderson, whose referee got gets bumped, and Nick Patrick comes in. <laughs> Savage hits the elbow off the top rope. Sa- uh, Patrick goes down to count, counts one, counts two, and then his neck just cramped up on him, something fierce, and he could not finish that three count. And uh, Savage went to go beat up Patrick, and you know the, the one of the other storylines during this time frame is Nick Patrick said that he he is the he is the referee, he is the sheriff uh, of uh, of the town, and Randy Savage is fined one million dollars for putting. <laughs> yeah, <on> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and I think Sh- Shivani said that they changed it to one hundred dollars or something. WCW <laughs> officials changed it to one hundred dollars. He's like, "What? This is why these guys can't put their hands on us." Um, I, Nick Patrick is fantastic. Yeah, he's great. I, I, I want to say one more thing about Nick Patrick. Even when he is portraying a referee who is supposed to be doing things wrong, he's the best referee, like, just by being a referee. Like, just him and being in the wrong spot is, 
like perfect. Like he does everything so perfect in these matches. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's gonna get tired. I I remember mm-hmm. it it getting tiring, but just like right now, this build of Nick Patrick and him doing these promos after the show, like this dude was is one of the MVPs of this time period. Yeah. Uh, okay, so then, um, out comes the giant. Uh, the giant, the uh, DiBiase grabs Savage out of the ring. Giant gives him a choke slam, and he puts Hogan on top. Patrick quickly recovers and, and counts the pin. Uh, after the match, uh, because Hogan is still knocked out from this el- from this elbow, so he's selling this elbow like crazy, like he's just out. And this is why the Giant had to like drape him over Savage <laughs> three count. The Giant has like some trophy or like some like just giant. A piece of silver that is like for the for the punch, and he has like ice water in it. Pours it on Hogan's face so that he wakes up from being knocked out of this uh, this elbow. And then out comes Roddy Piper. Now they play the bagpipes, and the bagpipes are one of the most recognizable sounds in, in a wrestling show. These bagpipes play for about 15 seconds before anybody even goes, wait, is that Roddy Piper? I was like, what are you guys doing? Like, who could it be? Like, would they just play bagpipes for no reason? No one's Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, finally... they got to sell it that way, you know, like be so sh- completely shocked. He, he finally comes out and, you know, he's, he's like, actually, I remember him uh, and, and he has a couple of runs here. And in one of those runs, he is just fat as all hell. But in this, yeah. I couldn't tell. He looks actually halfway decent uh, in, in in this when he came to see Hogan here. It's but, short-lived, his yeah. run. Yeah. His, his, his run as, like, credible, you know, opponent. So he and Hogan jaw jack about who's the icon, and uh, it's – it's interesting, and the way that they actually go off air, they they have to go off air early because Piper, uh, his some of his stuff goes a little long, and then there's kind of bickering. But I do remember watching this live, going like, "Yeah, Piper's right. Yeah, Hogan man. never beat him. Yeah, never beat him. There's never there can't be a Hogan without a Piper. All that stuff. Yeah. So I was down. Yeah. I was down with this, even though I knew the Starcade match was not going to be great. But yeah, I, I was I, down for the time. But Piper, Piper would always get me into the matches because he knew all the tricks to mm-hmm. to get you into it. So even if you know you, you go from watching uh, Rey Mysterio and Dean Malenko, and then you watch the slowness of some of these other matches, still the showmanship and the ability to get the crowd invested was still uh, they were still the masters. Yeah, I mean he. Kept it interesting, Piper did, for himself. Just a short time, though. I would say after Super Brawl 97 is when it dipped. And, of course, Age in a Cage later on. And, and the following Halloween Hell, Halloween Hell, Halloween Havoc. I always say Halloween Hell because it's the APW show. <laughs> um, um, Halloween Havoc is, of course, the famous Age in a Cage, you know, with Hogan and Piper. But before then, Piper was just not just not up to par. I think he kind of got lazy himself, right? The money was good. And he was, you know, they can do no wrong. And yeah, but, um, but I was excited at the time. Like, Oh man, they got Piper Piper's here now. You know, it was like another star on, you know, another star mm-hmm. adding to the show. So, and he had, he had the longer hair still here. Yeah. yeah. 
He's, you know, later he, on he, he looked. I thought he looked pretty good. Yeah, he looks good, and I and uh, we'll see the um, the angle from the Wrestle War three, which is that next pay per view. Which I remember, and I remember like being hyped for the main event at Starcade, and we got what we got. But uh, yeah, so I, I was didn't it, didn't it like become a non title match in some way? Or it something? was not. It was. Well, we can't. Let's not spoil that. Like yeah, it was non title, but uh, they didn't advertise it that way. So, but yeah. All right, so Piper kind of comes in as a surprise. Uh, they're talking to Piper as they are talking to Bret Hart. Um, they, I guess, it, you know, just sort of happened, not not last minute or anything, but they just kept it from the uh, a lot of the wrestlers, and they wanted to keep it as secret as possible. But I guess. Jim Ross had it on uh, Livewire that Saturday. <laughs> That's when uh, they found out when J- Roddy Piper called up. All right, Vince, one last chance. I'm going to do a stub you. And then exactly. Vince's like, no, nah, I can't do it. But Jim, hey, guess what? Yeah, because supposedly that was part of the thing is that Piper would just constantly use WCW in negotiations to get another another payoff from Vince and Vince just finally was like called this bluff. And so then he had to go, <laughs> I think in 89, he did that too. Yeah. I think 89 there, they, he was, they were courting him and then he ended up going back and to WWF of course. So we got through it. We got two more it, left and that's it. Oh, can you what, believe it? What, what star, what star rating did you give for Hogan and Savage? You and Dave are going to be way off on this. I one. know we are. Uh, I, I really enjoy this match. I'm going to, I'm going to give it, three three and a quarter you know i'm not gonna say it's a classic or anything but i really enjoyed hogan and savage performance as well on it he gave it a big one <laughs> I know, I can imagine. <laughs> uh all right so we have uh the russell we have the three ring battle royal uh show Oof. world war three and then starkade and we're done and i think be i think that world war three is like the la maybe the last week of november so we may actually be able to catch up on this one yeah yeah i and think it there. is towards the end i'm not looking forward to the nitros i will tell you that though you know what i was we i know we you text me as we're like getting close to recording and you know days leading up to this and you're like man these shows are rough and i'm like i know it's like what happened cuz i like the built to fall brawl but then yeah. this build for for Halloween Havoc was not good. No. Yeah, but I, but I enjoy the pay-per-view. Yeah, pay-per-view is good. I like that. Yeah. All right, we will be back the uh, hopefully in three weeks. We'll, we're going to try it because we we want to finish, uh, want to finish uh, World War Three. Want to finish Starkick because <laughs> we got to get ready for our movie podcast in 2024, and we're going to start with the Von Erichs movie. Yeah, and I want to throw throw a, a movie in the hat. Okay, if I could. What is it? Three Ninjas. I want to see Liz in her acting <laughs> debut. And after, <laughs> I've never seen this ever. Three Ninjas. I never seen Suburban Commando. Nope, me neither. I don't think I've ever seen Mr. Nanny, which I don't want to really want to watch Hogan in a tutu, but I'll take Suburban Commando because sci fi ish, you know? Yeah. So And The Undertaker's in it. Undertaker, that's right. He is in it. <laughs> yeah. Was he Kane the Undertaker then? Or oh, I don't, yeah. Was you he know what? he might have been Booger Red back then. Who knows? <laughs> Texas Red, I think, right? <laughs> yeah. Was it JR would call him Booger Red sometimes? Is, it, is that where I got that from? Is that where it is? That's where you got that? funny. Uh, all right. We'll be back next month. Actually, no. three. Uh, maybe at the end of this month. We'll see uh, with uh, the next one. And, yeah, we're, we're wrapping it up here. But it's been a lot of fun. So, for John, I am Double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace.
out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.